Hello and welcome to another episode of Triple Bladed Sword, where currently the pen is mightier than the sword, because normally I'd be talking about the science fiction, fantasy, and horror that we read, watch, and play, but I'm doing a course on analysis and argument for my students, and I'm making sure that they have easy access to their information, to the lectures, through this podcast. So if you're a regular uh, listener and you jumped in and you're like, hey, wait a second, this isn't about science fiction or fantasy or horror, you're right, unless it's the horror of writing a paper for university and not knowing what you're doing. Because I think a lot of people genuinely feel that sort of anxiety. And if you're that person, if that's you, then listen on. If you're one of my students, you have to listen anyway. So we've arrived at the second big assignment in our course, the synthesis paper. And a lot of students are like, what's a synthesis? I've never written a synthesis. You probably have. If you've ever written anything where you had to go and find some information and put it together to create a paper, maybe they called it a research paper, uh, then you have written a sort of synthesis. Um, you can see here we've got, uh, you know, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll, I'll describe this for the people just listening to the podcast. I've got an image of a bunch of people holding puzzle pieces. And when we put all these puzzle pieces together, then it's going to create a picture, right? That's what happens when we put a puzzle together. And a synthesis is a lot like that. It's a lot like putting the puzzle pieces together, except that you don't have a, a picture. You don't have a box to tell you how these pieces fit together. And ultimately, the pieces are malleable. You're going to be able to shift and change them and move them around in ways that will allow you to align them in ways that aren't exactly like a puzzle. But, you know, the metaphor seemed all right. Uh, the noun synthesis means the combination of ideas. That's like just right there. The combination of ideas to form a theory or system. Okay, So you're bringing ideas together in a synthesis to form some concept, a theory or a system. Uh, synonyms for this are combination, union, blend, mixture, compound. Okay, So when you think about that in terms of writing a synthesis, you're going to combine something. You are going to unify something. You are going to blend some stuff. You're going to mix some things together, and you're going to get, as the uh, first part of that definition says, the combination of ideas to form a theory. You're going to come up with a theory. You're going to come up with some idea. There still has to be a point. Whenever we write, there has to be a point. So with the summary, you used somebody else's point. This time... You're going to be using other people's points to arrive at some sort of conclusion. Uh, the verb synthesize means to combine a number of things into a coherent whole. Let's really stress coherent whole. Just putting a bunch of stuff together isn't a synthesis. You know, think back to my rant about the five paragraph essay. Can you really call an essay where you talk about Greek government, Greek mythology, and then Greek food in three paragraphs, uh, a coherent whole, right? Is there an argument there? Does it have a point? Is it going somewhere? Do we have a theory? Um, and the, the quotation here, pupils should synthesize the data, data they have gathered. Okay. And we talk about synthesizing data in other disciplines. I don't think people talk about synthesizing data a lot in English, but we do synthesize information. Whenever we 
pull together a bunch of ideas, we synthesize information. We synthesize information all the time. So this is something you've done before. It's just that you, you know, I find so often students can think and argue and write really, really well when they're relaxed. And they get super tense about an assignment because they don't understand what it's asking them to do. So the first thing you need to do is you need to analyze your assignment. This is, again, coming out of uh, Will Hoyt. This is uh, St Stephen W. Will Hoyt's Writing from Readings. Wonderful book. Now out of print, at least the second edition that I used. Um, analyze the assignment. This is good advice for the rest of your time in university. Don't come in thinking that every paper looks like every other paper. You have to take a look at the description for the assignment in your course outline. So don't overlook the necessity of checking what your prof has told you you need to be doing, right? Analyze the assignment. What am I being asked to do? This goes hand in hand with the old uh, take the time to read the question when you're doing a, you know, an exam. So your synthesis says write an informative synthesis because Will Hoyt talks about informative synthesis, syntheses, and he also talks about argumentative synthesis. But he talks about the informative synthesis, and that's what you need to do using one of the following essays, Godzilla and Post-War Japan Lunch Keynote Addressed by William Satsui, or The Shock of the Atomic Bomb and Japan's uh, Decision to Surrender a reconsideration by Sadeo Asada. You will bring that article. So you're going to choose one of those articles. You're going to choose either Sitsui's article or you're going to choose Asada's article. And really at this point, you're already in your streams doing Hiroshima or Godzilla. But you're going to bring that article, as I say, into conversation using some of the language from They Say, I Say with the article you used from your for your summary to answer the question, what do we learn when we force these voices into conversation with each other? Do they agree? Do they disagree? Are they going to get into a cage match fight or they're going to sit down over drinks and go yeah, yeah yeah because they might not necessarily you know disagree and they you know they may agree in some areas and disagree in others and you're going to synthesize their information to answer that question what do we learn when we force these voices into conversation with each other um so that you, you take a look at that and and that tells you what you need to be doing Right. So, and again, students overthink this. They're like, well, what, do I, what kind of formatting do you want? And all this sort of stuff. You have to analyze the assignment just to know what you're doing in the first place. So take that time to read over the description for the assignment before you begin engaging in it. Determine whether you are being asked in this particular case to write an informative or argumentative synthesis. You're being asked to write an informative one. Now, that doesn't mean that you're Synthesis won't have a point. It just won't be yours. So once again, I'm muzzling you. Why am I doing that? Because I want you to know what they say before you say what you say. I want you to do genuine research before you generate your own thoughts about this stuff. Okay? So it's still quiet time for you. But you are going to have to bring these voices together in a way that will ultimately reveal some of your bias, um, because the conclusion that you arrive at may show the direction that you're heading with the final paper. Remember, we're writing a, a research paper in slow motion this semester. So this is slow motion move number two. And just so that we're absolutely 100% clear, you can use as much or as little of your summary 
in your synthesis. You pretty much begin writing this paper by dumping or just resaving uh, your summary as your synthesis and then starting from there uh, as your initial draft. <clears throat> Determine the number and types of readings you are expected to use. Two. But you might do a synthesis because, again, a synthesis is really another way of saying research paper. Ultimately, that is what we're saying when we're asking you to do a synthesis. Why did I call it a synthesis if it's actually a research paper? Because I wanted I wanted to distinguish it from the final paper. But I also wanted to make sure that you understood that uh, in, in most research papers, we're looking for you to have a conclusion that you've arrived at. Whereas here, the conclusion is dictated to some degree by the information that you're piecing together. Okay, so determine the number and types of readings you're expected to use. You're expected to use two, and they are scholarly secondary sources. And because I haven't talked about scholarly secondary sources yet in any of the recordings, I want to make sure that I do it here, even though I've already done it in the classroom. So in our uh synchronous times together, we've talked about what a scholarly secondary source is, but you know, it's not a bad idea to review this stuff. What do we mean by a scholarly secondary source? Well, a primary source would be, say, uh, a movie. You might have a movie like the classic Cat People, okay? So I have a, I have a classic movie, Cat People, and then I might have a book about that. Okay. This is the primary source. The movie is the primary source. That is the primary object of our research, of our um, research and interrogation. The secondary source, this book that was written by Kim Newman about the movie Cat People, is the secondary source. Okay. Uh, it is secondary because it's not the thing itself. Um, so in history, when you think about primary sources, you're talking about actual historical artifacts, letters that were written by people, um, grocery lists as they dug up in, you know, uh, the little clay on little clay tablets in a, in a junk, uh, junk field out in an archeological dig, um, actual objects, texts, artifacts from that historical period. That's primary research. Secondary research is like every documentary you've ever seen on the History Channel, but that's not scholarly. Um, docu a documentary on the History Channel or on Netflix, that's not scholarly. So what do we mean by scholarly? Scholarly means that that secondary source, that thing that is written about the primary uh, object of investigation has been run through a gauntlet of experts in that area. So when I publish on steampunk, for example, I have to, I have to submit my work to an editorial board that knows something about that or, or some area that is adjacent to it. Because uh, there aren't a ton of people who are experts on steampunk, and so they often have to get people who like know something that's sort of on the sidelines of steampunk, like they're experts in science fiction, or they're experts in um, neo-Victorian literature, or something like that. Uh, Steve Rifle, writing about Godzilla, likely had to get past a scholarly board, probably not of experts on giant monster movies, but on cinema in general. Um, with William Sitsui, it was probably the... Well, it, it, he was asked to be a keynotes uh he was asked to give a keynote speech um at an east asian studies conference so 
his stuff wasn't so much vetted as there was a bunch of people in the room when he gave that talk. And then, um, you know, he, he presents that as, as a finished article. Um, but he is the man. That's one of the things, like if you are already the expert in your field and William Satsui is like the man when it comes to academic work done on Godzilla, then you potentially don't need to run that gauntlet. Um, but most scholarly secondary sources have gone through this editorial gauntlet, this, um, and sometimes there's like two different editorial boards. There's like this one edi editor group that, um, is, is like stage one and then there's stage two and it takes forever. And you know, when I hand it, I hand back your assignment, you get feedback from me. Um, imagine doing that like four or five times and you have an idea of what most articles go through before they reach publication in the academic world. They are consequently considered um, better sources of information than, say, if you got the information off the World Wide Web or if you got it um, from a magazine that you picked up at the grocery store or if you watched it on the History Channel. Right. So, you know, if you watch a documentary on Hiroshima, like the one that I assigned that was done by the BBC, that's a secondary source, but it's not a scholarly one. Why did I assign it? Because it gives you a big picture idea of what's going on with Hiroshima. Um, and I often, it's odd to me, like students will come to me at some point in the semester and they'll say, does Godzilla count as a secondary source? And I'm like, no, Gojira, Godzilla, the movie, 1954 film is your primary source. We've been working with nothing but secondary sources since the beginning of the semester, which is a bit different from how you'd write a research paper in, in other courses. You probably start you with the primary sources rather than the secondary. But because we're doing this writing in slow motion, I had I have to do it in a certain order just to make sure that we can finish all of the assignments in time. So determining the number and types of readings you're expected to use. In some classes, they're not going to require you to use scholarly secondary sources. It may be that there are no scholarly secondary sources on the stuff that you're writing about, uh, and so you consequently have to use popular sources. Uh, maybe your object of inquiry is pop culture, and consequently, you know, having a bunch of articles from BuzzFeed works really well. But in our case, we're working with those scholarly sources so that you can get used to reading that sort of thing, and you understand what you're going to be in for with later courses. And then again, just like we did with the summary, we're going to review and annotate the readings. Review the readings with your assignment in mind, looking for and marking information related to the topic of your paper. So this is that read, reread, and annotate. Okay? Read, reread, and annotate. Um, briefly summarize each reading for your synthesis. Now, when we say briefly summarize, should I be seeing, like, and I, I get this quite frequently, I'll get like, um, you know, here's a summary of the one article, here's a summary of the other, done. No, that's not a synthesis. You haven't put those, you haven't combined them. Remember the definition for synthesis? You, a combination. You need to unify this. You need to bring these things together into, as they say, I say, puts it, conversation. So you're going to be weaving their voices together, basically. Uh, you're going to have um, Alperovitz and Asada Having a conversation with each other is a good way of thinking about it. You could actually probably do your first draft as a screenplay where you just quotes back and forth from Asada to Alperovitz, like they're talking back and forth. They're saying, you know, you quote uh, Alperovitz saying one thing, and then you quote Asada saying another, or you summarize uh, Alperovitz saying one thing, and then you summarize Asada saying another. 
and then you would go in and you would fill in the gaps, as it were. Um, and then you formulate a thesis. What, what conclusion do you come to when you synthesize these two, these two essays, these two articles? Do they agree with each other? Do they disagree? If they agree, do we learn anything new? If they disagree, which one of them do you think is right? You don't have to come right out and say, I think so-and-so is correct. Because the way that you synthesize the information, the way that you include it, the way that you arrange it, should lead your reader to the same conclusion that you've come to about this. Okay, so you're determining what stance you're going to assume in your essay based upon the conclusion that you've come to uh, that, that's in their, their ideas. You know, determine whether you're going to use an open or closed thesis statement. Um, we're going to talk more about thesis statements in, in upcoming lectures, but like an open thesis statement has this sense of like, well, you know, what, what, this, this, there, there might be room for us to explore. Uh, I want you to go with more of a closed thesis statement. I want you to arrive at a point, right? That's why I have this image of a camera lens, because there's this idea of focus. And we need to start equating the idea of writing a thesis with focus. You know, what's the focus of your paper? Because just like with the summary, you couldn't include everything. You won't be able to include everything in the synthesis. You can't have all of Alperovitz's argument and all of Asada's argument. What you're going to do is play a game of connect the dots. Where are they talking about the same thing? And then you do the same thing. If you're in the Godzilla track, you do that with Tsutsui and Rifle. You connect the dots between their ideas. Where are they talking about the same things? Now, some of the some of the areas you may, you you might have to go wander out into the differences just to explain potentially why you side with one or the other, or what you know if they're in agreement with each other is is there something new that emerges from their agreement? And I'm being I'm being very cagey about, you know, do they agree or disagree, which which one is which with these articles, because we're going to be discussing this in our upcoming synchronous times, the times that we're together. And I don't want to, no spoilers, right? I want you guys to be thinking about this. I want you to be contemplating. Do they agree with each other? Do they disagree? Where are they talking about the same information? Okay. And then you need to choose an organizational plan. You need to think about structure. And this is, this is just good writing advice, period. I mean, you take what, what Will Hoyt bring, sort of breaks this all down into, and you're looking at a pretty decent writing process, right? Will Hoyt begins with analyzing the assignment and then goes and says, review and annotate the readings. That's that, you know, gathering information and determining focus of the planning stage, then you move on to formulating a thesis, and then you're choosing an organizational plan, which is structuring your paper. It's shaping your paper. That's the term that we would use in uh, an up. Well, we will talk about this in an upcoming lecture. Uh, with the writing process, shaping is week number two. Week number one is planning. Week number two is shaping. But we we're just we keep doing this over and over again. But you have to have a structure for your paper. All papers need structures. They need to have an outline, a plan, some way that this uh, coheres and, and, and goes somewhere, you know, like a map. Uh, 
Um, so decide how you will order the ideas you will develop in your essay and decide whether or not you will present your ideas using a block or alternating format. Nope, you don't get to decide. You will be using an alternating format. The block format doesn't work with these particular sources. And that's why I warned you off earlier of like summarizing all of Asada and then summarizing all of El Paravitz and going, there you go, that's the synthesis. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Synthesis, synthesizing, combination, bringing these things together. I keep pu I keep putting my, my hands together and weaving my fingers together, interlocking them to give you that sense of like, if this hand was a Sada and I interlock it with my other hand, which is Alperovitz, you can see that the fingers are now stacked one on top of each other. Again, it's like that screenplay idea. Who goes first? Uh, Rifle gets to say something. Then Sutsui says something. Then Rifle says something. Then Sutsui says something. Um, and, and please keep in mind that, again, you can't just go, oh, so I have one of them talk, and then they have the other one talk, and that's the assignment? No! You have to get them talking with each other on the same subject. It's not just like they're both spouting random shit about Godzilla. Okay? That's not a synthesis. That's not a combination. That's not a unified whole. That's not coherence. You have to analyze the work that you've been asked to do. You need to come up with an answer to the question, what conclusion will we arrive at if we get these two voices in conversation with each other? What new idea emerges from locking them together? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a new idea even. Maybe it's just the same idea, but now it's been reinforced. Okay? So you choose an organi organizational plan. And so like just going back for a second to formulating a thesis, you are formulating your thesis out of their theses, okay? You will take their thesis statements, stack them right beside each other and go, okay, now what do I learn if I put these side by side? And some of you are going to go, wait a second, I don't, they get into a fight. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to take a few more steps, right? If they're arguing with each other, we have to decide which of them is more convincing, which of them has the better argument. And I must stress this, not which one do you agree with, because you don't know enough yet. Which of them has the stronger argument? You don't go just with what you want to say. That's proof texting again. Remember, we're gathering ideas to determine the focus of that research paper that's still waiting for us down the line in this course. And then you compose your rough draft. Following the organization implied or stated by your thesis. In other words, if you're going to say X, you have to have an organization that supports that idea, whatever it might be, okay? Then you summarize and combine, synthesize material from the source text to support your thesis. But again, you didn't arrive at that thesis out of blue, you know, the blue sky. You came to that thesis because you've read Asada and you had already summarized Alperovitz. And you know Alperovitz so well by this point that you literally, I'm sure, as you're reading Asada are going, wait a second, this is like what Alperovitz said, uh... But, and then you're responding to what Asada is saying. Same thing for my rifle people, my Godzilla people. You read rifle, you summarized rifle, and now you're bringing him into conversation with Tsutsui. And while you were reading Tsutsui, you were probably going, hmm, this sounds familiar. Although there was a lot that was probably unfamiliar too. 
and then you're going to paraphrase and quote material as necessary. Let's say summarize, paraphrase, and quote material as necessary. Now, here's the first time that I get to say this, and I'm going to say it many times before the semester is over. You must cite your sources whenever you summarize, paraphrase, or quote them. What do I mean by citation? It's when we put in like a footnote or in the citation style that we're using in this class, we put a little parentheses, a little bracket, and we put in a page number. You must do that whenever you summarize, paraphrase, or quote. So many of my students think they only need to do it when they quote. No, 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 no. In fact, it's even more important to do it when you summarize or paraphrase because otherwise maybe your teacher doesn't know. Is that you or is that one of your sources? And then if they're like, well, I've read this before. That was Wilhoit or something, whoever it is. You know, I, I know rifles work. Um, then you could be accused of plagiarism. You don't want that. So just to cover your butt, you're going to cite. You are going to indicate that this is not your idea. This is someone else's idea. And remember that that's totally okay. It doesn't make you stupid to use other people's ideas. It makes you smart because you're like, I think this, and so does this expert, and so do these other 20 experts or three experts or however many you have in your back pocket. Add transitions, elaborations, clarifications, and connections where needed. Oof, can't stress this one enough. Again, students think, I just dump a bunch of stuff, I just take my summary and I'll shove it in here and then I'll summarize this other person. Just kind of slap it all together. And then they think they've done their due diligence. Uh, 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 this thing this has to flow. It has to move from one piece to the next. It can't just be idea, 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 idea. Or we're back to that structure of Greek government, Greek mythology, Greek food no connective tissue. We don't understand what the relationship is between those three things other than Greece. You need to make sure that you're putting in the transitions and the elaborations. Is there Are there places where you need to clarify ideas for your reader? Something that I, I can't stress enough is that you should never assume that your reader knows what you know. You should always be writing as though your reader has no clue what you're talking about. And you should be explaining things for them. Now, it doesn't mean you're dumbing it down. It just means that you're ensuring that your reader can infer from context what you're saying, what you're arguing. Okay? And then include a concluding paragraph. Now, you'll notice that there was nothing in there about including an, an introductory paragraph. But you should. You should include an introductory paragraph. Okay? So this time, this time. We want one of those introductions like the ones that you learned how to do in high school. At least I hope, because I don't know what you learned in high school, but I hope. But we want a bona fide introduction. We don't just want the in Hiroshima historians reassess, Gar Alperovitz argues that, you know, America didn't have to drop the atomic bomb. That's the statement that, you know, was right up there at the top. Uh, in Godzilla's footprint, Steve Rifle argues that, you know, Gojira is one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, that's probably hyperbole, but he thinks it's a really awesome movie. He thinks it's a classic that, uh, you know, is, is now misunderstood because of the rest of the franchise. Um, and you need to go beyond that. You're not just going to use that as your opener. But, but the reason that you did it for the summary is now you know what, you know, Rifle's thesis is. Now you know what El Paravitz's thesis is. Remember that you need to be doing that work. Even though you're not handing in an actual summary, you should still be doing that sort of work with, El per uh, with Asada and with Tsutsui, or with Tsutsui, depending on, you know, which stream you're working in. 
And then finally, you're going to rewrite and revise your synthesis. This is the last stage of the process, but it's one of these things that I got to hammer home with my students. There is an entire chapter on revision in They Say, I Say, and we'll be talking about it later in the semester, but it doesn't hurt you to read it now and take a look at some of the things that it recommends. Keeping in mind that Graf and Birkenstein are talking about an argumentative research paper, not necessarily an informational synthesis. But the reason that I'm calling it an informational synthesis, and this is the other thing, is that Will Hoyt's kind of like, well, it's just information and you're not really making an argument. I'm trying to differentiate you having an argument from them having an argument. I want you to replicate uh, Asada or Sutsui's argument and bring it into conversation with Alperovitz or Rifle's argument. Okay, that is the goal. And once you once you've composed your rough draft, it's always important to take the time to rewrite to revise. You know, a lot of people are like, ah, you know, my, my first draft's amazing. That's the thing. I just, I only do one draft. I have a lot of students who are, who want to be poets. And they're like, I wrote this poem. And I'm like, did you ever, did you ever, did you ever revise it? I hate it when they ask me to take a look at their poetry. Cause I'm like, I'm just going to hurt your feelings. Did you ever take the time to rewrite it? Did you ever take the time to revise it? No, I just, you know, it just flowed out of me. And I just felt like the beauty of it was inherent and all this sort of thing. And I'm like, listen. Jimmy Page wrote Kashmir by Led Zeppelin in the desert while he was stoned. Apparently, this is the, this is the story that's been told. Jimmy Page, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin, writes Kashmir. Da-na-na, 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 right in the desert. Hi. But that's not the version that you hear if you, you know, listen to Kashmir by Led Zeppelin. Oh, no, no. There's not just a guitar. There's a guitar. There's a bass player. There's drums. And there's strings. There's an entire string orchestra. Va-va-vamp. Va-va-vamp. Right? So between being high in the desert and getting into the studio, there was some rewriting and revisioning going on. And then, you know whoever wrote the lyrics. Maybe it was Robert Plant. I don't know. Robert Plant was the singer, but he's still gonna, he's singing some stuff in there, and that's not Jimmy Page. So there was re rewriting and revising going on. I used to play in a band, and I, I remember being in the studio and literally revising the lyrics in the recording booth because they didn't fit the meter of the verse as well as I'd always thought, or the producer would say, hey, well, why don't you try it like this? And there was this process of revision going on to make the work better. You want to take the time to give yourself enough space to rewrite or revise. And here's my recommendations about revising your work. Give yourself 24 hours between when you finish your rough draft and you go back to revise it. 24 hours, at least, at least. Stephen King says that he leaves a book. When he finishes it, he leaves the book for like a month or so. You don't have that kind of time. <laughs> we don't have those luxuries. But Stephen King leaves his work alone. Why does he say he does that? Because then he comes back with what he says are fresh eyes. Sees it with new eyes. Because you sort of forget what you wrote. You forget how you wrote it. And when you come back to it with fresh eyes, having forgotten what you've written, you have a much better chance of seeing your errors or the things that you can improve. 
So try to take about 24 hours in between writing your rough draft and coming back to revise your synthesis before you hand it in. Do not, do not make the mistake of screwing yourself over by waiting until the 11th hour, literally the 11th hour, because you can hand this in right before midnight, right? Don't wait until 11 o'clock the night that this is due to be doing your revisions. And please, please, please listen to the feedback that I gave you for the summary and incorporate it into this. Because if I go back, because I make notes about this stuff, and you haven't done any of the things that I recommended in the last thing, it's going to go harder for you on this paper. Because I'm like your editor, Like if we were working for a publishing company, I'm the editor, you're the author, you hand your stuff in, I tell you, hey, these are the things you need to fix, I give it back to you, and then you fix those things. That's how that relationship works. Okay, so on your way with the synthesis, which is really a research paper just involving two sources, but we're still holding back what we have to say until we've fully assimilated what they say. 